Hey, it's Jay, and we are doing another special mailbag. Uh, we've done some of these in the past, and we got good reactions, which uh, forces me to eat some humble pie because we put so much effort into creating the actual episodes with lots of production and planning and research and sound design and all that stuff. And then people are like, yeah, we like the ones where you don't do anything and you just <laughs> talk. So <laughs> uh, Andrea Maraskin is with me. Hey, Andrea. Hey, Jay. So uh, you had suggested something I really was excited about, which is to do a mailbag exclusively about narrative style podcasting. So that's how I got my start. I tried my hand at three episodes for a nonprofit. Uh, a friend of mine ran their marketing and he was like asking me in 2012 or 13 or something about their marketing strategy. And I was like, you know what you should do is you should start a podcast. He's like, oh, interesting. Is that something like, I don't really know how to do it. And I was like, no big deal. Cause I'll do it for you. And he's like, oh, cool. Have you ever done a podcast before? And I was like, here's the thing. No. Uh, <laughs> but he let me. And so like the first show I did, I called it Tech It Forward, which is a terrible play on Play It Forward because uh, this nonprofit's job was to connect for-profit tech companies and tools to nonprofits who could use the advice or the technology. And so we took a theme about business every episode and we talked to one entrepreneur in the for-profit world and one nonprofit leader about the same theme. So, and I'd splice it together with lots of music and voiceover and sound design. So I like tripped my way forward for three episodes. And then my friend left the nonprofit, but by then I was like already hooked. So I went to my then employer, which was a VC firm where I, I led their brand and I pitched them on doing a show and um, they said yes, which was amazing. So I started my first branded in-house high stakes show, trying to do a narrative style show. That led to my personal show, which is still running Unthinkable, and here we are. I want to know how to do the things to do. A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you. Ah, this is Three Clips. So I have this like deep, very fraught relationship with narrative. Why is it fraught, Jay? Uh, God, you're a good producer. Thank you. It's fraught because every time I go to produce an unthinkable episode, I think to myself, what if I just straight up interviewed somebody? Like I would stake my interview skills against s uh, others that I admire that are great because I've worked my butt off to be a good interviewer. And I'm, I pride myself in that skill. So sometimes I wonder, maybe I could just skip the rest of the edit and just interview people. And then I go back and listen to some of my older episodes or go read. I have a kind of like a rainy day collection of nice things people have emailed me in my inbox when mm -hmm. like I'm not feeling it. Uh, I'll go back and like read what people said about certain episodes. And I'll, I'll go back to those episodes and be like, this is so much more immersive and transformative and I could do more with it and have more fun with it. And I have other skills I'm developing. So for me, narrative is just, it's like a wellspring of inspiration to hear and also try, but it does feel like such a heavier lift to do all of it, especially solo than just an interview. Both are yeah. hard, both are hard, but different kinds of hard. I wanna get into the questions. To you, the listener, something you should know is, what I, what I found in past mailbags is when I over-prepared, it was worse. I did not look at these questions ahead of time. And I left it to Andrea to pick out questions from people on Twitter 
and people over email. So I have nothing in front of me and we're just going to see what happens. So Andrea, what do you got? What's the first question? Okay. This first question is from Instagram from Pranav Kale. Pranav, I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Which resources helped you become a podcaster who tells beautiful stories? Pranav, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> um, there's there's only a few resources I'd recommend that actually teach the craft of audio or storytelling. The one that looms largest is a book. It's actually written as a comic or a comic strip anyway. Um, it's not it's not funny. It, it's humorous at times. It's called Out on the Wire by Jessica Abel. So Jessica was embedded in shows like This American Life and Radiolab and Snap Judgment and I think The Moth and 99% Invisible. And so she goes into what she calls the new masters of radio, most, most of whom are running podcasts, and talks about their processes. And she divides it up based on different sections of the work, you know, uh, finding story. I think she even starts before that with what even makes a great story, finding great stories, uh, interviews, editing, teamwork, all, all of this stuff. And it's the only book about work that I've actually read multiple times. Usually books about business and work. It's sort of like, okay, I kind of get the joke after a chapter or two. But this one is just a, it's an amazing resource. So that's out on the wire. The other thing is what I really love doing is I love trying to dissect what others do um, from a structural standpoint. So like I'll, I'll occasionally take a notebook and do something that I've just called a, an extraction, which is to sit with somebody who's telling a story and see if I can find the underlying structure of the story. It's a little masochistic because you're spending some fun time essentially doing some work things. And you're also trying to figure out something that they probably didn't even have a, a plan for. But at least you can tease out, oh, wow, the first opening moments, they go for this type of feeling. And here's how they execute that. Then A block seems to be something like X, Y, or Z purpose. So I've, I've done this with Bourdain. I've done this with Radiolab. Sometimes you'll find interviews with these people on YouTube where they actually address it or talk about story in general. But for the most part, honestly, it's been that one book and then a lot of just like consuming and trying to like think critically about the people that inspire me. I have a few things to add there. I want to recommend the podcast How Sound, um, hosted by Rob Rosenthal. He was my teacher at Salt Institute, which I also recommend up, up in Portland, Maine. Uh, he now teaches Transom at the Transom Workshop on Cape Cod. It's a little bit similar to Three Clips now that I think about it, but it focuses usually on narrative podcasts and how they, how these people made their podcasts or made their stories. It's been going on for a long time. It's called How Sound, one word. If you have the time and the resources, I definitely recommend a program like Salt or Transom. They're each kind of a one-semester thing, but they do run shorter workshops, and I would really expect that they're running online workshops at this point. Also, I know it's really helped me in developing my stories and uh, narrative podcasts to have a community to be able to play samples to and get feedback from. Um, the Boston Sonic Soiree, where you live, is a great group that does that. Nice. Um, there's a group in New York that I've never been to, but I've heard that at least years ago, like sometimes the creators of Radiolab would show up. Like you never know who's going to show up. Just getting feedback from other creators is the best. Yeah. I mean, there's there's two other things I'd throw out. So one is more of a, not heuristic, but it's a, it's a technique or just, a, it's, it's inseparable from storytelling. And the other is a project I just launched. So the technique, if you can call it that, 
if you want to tell stories, learn how to use tension because without mm-hmm. a story or sorry, without tension, you don't have a story. So to me, tension is what I call the carbon element or atom of storytelling. Can't have life without carbon. You can't have story without tension. And I think we evolve in three phases as storytellers. First, we don't use any tension. So we're just, you know, it's question, answer, question, answer, or we just describe stuff. It's kind of flat. Then we do the simple three arc or three piece story, um, simple narrative arcs where the tension is in the middle and what causes the flatness to arc upward in the middle. Status quo. The itsy bitsy spider went up the water spout. Tension. (laughs) Down came the rain. The reason I'm using this, Andrea, is we've literally, literally been using this type of story since or being told them anyway, since we were kids and we just sort of forget them. So it could be that simple. Down came the rain. There's the tension. And then the resolution is the third part. So status quo, tension, resolution, out came the sun and the spider done did that thing. So when you think about story, you think about the use of tension. And that second phase of your career is when you use like simple tension, simple story structure. It's the three part story. Then I think the more sophisticated storytellers, they start to mess with tension. You know, they'll start with an open loop, uh, which is just like I start a sequence of events and I give you the ending later, or I raise questions in your mind with what I'm saying that I answer later. Um, A cold open is a form of an open loop. There's intrigue, right? Uh, There's a little bit of tension and I haven't resolved it yet. And your brain is wired to want that closure to the loop. You want the resolution to the tension. Um, And so really great storytellers, you'll notice they have like little micro moments of tension that they resolve beat to beat or block to block. And then you have the macro level tension, which might span a whole episode, or if they're doing such a show, the whole season or whole show. So, you know, I think when you have, when you're messing with tension, you know, a really simple symptom of this is the smallest possible form of tension is the word, but I'm going to start telling you that it's this thing, or I noticed this thing, but then this happened. And as a result of that, Mm -hmm. this happened, but then this next thing happened. Right. So you're, you can't help but feel compelled to go along with the ride. So that's the technique. And very simply, the project that I launched around story and making more elevated work, it's a, it's a community group that I just launched called Make What Matters. You can go to makewhatmattersgroup.com. And in that group is a bunch of creators, showrunners, writers, marketers, entrepreneurs, comedians. Uh, we're talking about things like this stuff. Like, how do we elevate our work and also practice this stuff uh, week to week? So that's makewhatmattersgroup.com. Yeah, we had our first meeting yesterday. It was pretty exciting. Thanks. So that gives us a a good transition into another question. This is from Dan Rice on Twitter. And you already partially answered this. He asks, how do you structure the story in a way that grabs and maintains attention? Ah, yep. See, I I got ahead of it too. But tension is definitely the thing. The other part is you need a structure. Having an actual plan. And not winging it. You know, when I talk to podcasters so often, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have a structure. It's an intro. And in the intro, we do like a little summary of what's to come, play the theme music, describe the show. That's the intro. And then we have a 45 minute interview with somebody. And then we have an outro. And I'm like, no, you don't have a structure because where you need the structure is the 45 minute interview. Um, Mm -hmm. What is the rundown of your experience? And it can be found by shipping lots of episodes and reflecting, or it can be built proactively, like perform an extraction, borrow it and steal it from somebody else whose storytelling style you'd like to mimic. So an example of what a rundown does, 
On my other show, Unthinkable, we tell stories of people who question the conventional thinking to make what matters. You're sensing a theme with that phrase in me, make what matters. And most I shows- my, I hear it in my sleep, Jay. Yes. That's, that's a sign you've been working with me for too long. Um, most shows start with the bio, which makes sense because you don't want questions like, who is this person? Uh, you don't want those questions to be lingering on listeners' minds. But what I found was belaboring the bio, telling the whole backstory made no sense for the rundown of Unthinkable because we're trying to show you that you should question conventional thinking yourself. How do we do that? What's the logical lawyerly case or flow for doing that? It's like an argument. Well, after I get past the cold open, the first thing I need to do is actually build up the best practice. So we're talking to a blogger. Here's what blogging tends to look like. That's the first section. Then I'm going to tear down the best practice. But this person did it this way. Seems unthinkable. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to go to how that wasn't unthinkable at all. If you knew what they knew, that's the third section. And then you're wondering, who even is this person that they would realize this or do it this way? Well, now we go to the full backstory. It's like, how did they arrive here in the first place? Should we go to the next question? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Elias Lim Santos on Twitter asks, how do you structure research? And then Elias breaks this down into three sub-questions. So do you research the whole industry first, like a bird's eye view for general understanding? Or two, do you research about a specialty of an industry for specific insights? Or three, do you research for key persons for subject matter expertise? The most important part of all of this is to have an idea backlog so you're never starting from scratch. On three clips, we have Trello. And so me and you and Cherie, we all operate in Trello week to week. And it could be any app. The app itself does not matter. I think the only requirement is that it should probably sync to your mobile and desktop. Because if you're in the moment and you find an idea, you just want to log it wherever you are. So we happen to use Trello. Um, I'm not an endorser or a brand evangelist for them at all. So use use what you will. The That's the, back, the, the, the sort of backdrop to all this. You should always be banking ideas. Mm-hmm. Your, your show will probably find a cadence to it based on uh, what will lead for a given episode. So on three clips, what leads is the show or person we'd like to dissect or talk to. On Unthinkable, uh, a theme or a question usually leads. So right now we're talking about this idea of creative reps, like putting in micro practice and many motions forward to create a body of work, the rep for your creativity. That's what we're exploring on Unthinkable. So the next episode is called Reps and Sets. So that's what we're leading with. It's like, what even is a rep or a set like in an, a gym, but for your creativity? Does that exist? So we did a bunch of research on who has written about the importance of practice to the creative craft. Um, are there comps from athletics and physical fitness for your creative fitness? What are, is there any science to any of this stuff? Um, who has said all these things? What are they all about? These people who are writing about it or speaking about it or have books. And then we look for who we can speak to in a number of ways. We, you know, it's, it's almost like a travel show. We have locals who embody the theme. They're living it out day to day. It's the practitioner. It's the writer who has a daily blog for the reps and sets episode. We have locals. Then we have guides. Guides are like the analysts, the academics, the person who can give us the bird's eye view and guide us into the theme directly, not so much their day to day execution of the theme. So that's, that's unthinkable. Um, three clips is very much like we want to talk to this host or about this show or both. And, um, actually Andrea, you are way more involved in the research. So do you want to unpack what your process looks like once you know the show we're going after? 
for three clips, I don't have to do a ton of research. Um, I like to do a pre-interview if it's not somebody that you already know, Jay. And that fills me in on a lot um, because I don't necessarily need to talk to them to pick the clips. I need some background info for you. But what does the pre-call allow for that secondhand research online does not? Oh, a lot of things, Jay. It allows me to ask questions so that I know, is this a question that generates a good response? For example, um, I was talking to Nicole Hill today. She's going to be our guest. She's the host and producer of The Secret Adventures of Black People. And I asked her, First of all, I, I found out, you know, how long has she been living in Washington, D.C., where she lives? She said since 2004. I love Washington, D.C. I said, what is it about Washington, D.C. that inspires you to be like a good storyteller, or inspires your storytelling? And she gave me this really awesome answer. And now I know that that's, some, that's a thread that you could pick up on when you're interviewing, because maybe she didn't have an awesome answer. And then you know, that's something that you you wouldn't go ahead and ask her. You know, little things behind the person's process. I also found out that this wasn't her first podcast, um, which I hadn't known from researching her before. But yeah, I also, you know, I'll check the LinkedIn profile. I'll see if this person has been on other podcasts. Um, so we make sure we get different something different out of them. I will uh, see if there's any articles written about this person. And you know what? I also like to look at the comments on uh, Apple Podcasts. So it's good to see what the audience values in that podcaster. Yeah. I also like creeping on their social media a little bit, like to see oh, if yeah. we can learn learn about the person secondhand. Because you get the energy check as Shopify's Kristen LaFrance told us on our show that she does these pre-interviews too. She's like, I want to do an energy check, you know, and also get to know the person because you're going to have a better conversation with someone you know better. So pre-interview helps you get to know them better. So she does energy checks, and I think that's a part of it too. Um, but in our case, you're having the pre-interview, not me. And so I like to creep on their social media just to be like, who is this person as a person? What are they posting? Okay, let's go on to the next question. This is from Wendy Glavin via Twitter. For me, the podcast hosts I've enjoyed the most as a guest or a listener don't send questions in advance, which feels more authentic and engaging. Do you agree or do you feel it depends on the guest? What works best for you? So the hosts that I've talked to where I'm like, they understand how to do this stuff well. They I they feel similarly to me or maybe I've taken my cues from them. Do not send exact questions ahead of time. You will get asked. But what you don't, because the, the, the downside is way worse than the upside. The upside is they come in prepared and ready to go. Right, which they should be able to speak to the things you're asking them anyway. They should inherently be prepared in some form. You know, you're not trying to ask them like crazy clever questions. You're trying to talk to them about their story, their ideas, etc. So they should be prepared because of who they are. Um, the downside, however, is that they sound robotic, or they say no, we won't speak to that, or they're overly prepared, or even sound scripted, or have their PR teammate appear next to them. I've had this happen. A PR teammate will call in. Oh, like a, a, an individual publicist or if they're like a, a chief marketing officer or chief executive officer at a business, they'll have a teammate from their marketing team sit in. Um, so what I do is I say, yes, no problem. And I, I do send them some stuff. In general, we want to touch on these things. 
but in the in the episode it's it's anything goes right like i don't run a gotcha show and i tell them that um but i'm going to talk to them in a way that gets the best story again if you're doing a narrative you're in extraction mode you're like I got to get the sound bite. I got to get it to sound the right way. I got to get the answers. I got to get the moments of the story, the reflections on the story from them. And then I'll compile it in post. So it's, you know, it's, it's a dance. Um, and it's all predicated mostly on follow-ups. Anyway, the first questions, like the first line of questioning that you have matters far less than just pursuing interestingness and curiosity as a host, as an interviewer. So sending questions ahead of time, absolutely not. Um, Go ahead and say yes and send some things that you absolutely will touch on. I frame them as topics instead of questions. I've never had someone push back and be like, no, we need every single specific question. So Andrea, any thoughts on that? I totally agree. And again, I want to go back to that prep call. Um, The other side of the prep call is that the person gets to know a little bit about about you if you're the interviewer or in my case, when I'm the producer during the prep call about the show. And it kind of can put them at ease. And also some people that I've interviewed certainly maybe never talked to the media before. So that's another reason for them just to get comfortable with you. That would definitely, I think, be superior than, you know, them just reading the questions that you send. Jessica Baldwin on Twitter says, I love this style, but I'm curious about the added production writing, narration, editing in comments is significantly more time consuming. I'm assuming she meets compared to an interview show. So if this is more time consuming, is there a measurable benefit to the narrative format? I mean, so if you're asking if there's a measurable benefit, you you measure what already happened, right? And so it's, that's dependent on your show. You can't measure things in advance. So you can't say like, oh, in general, narrative shows have this data and interview shows don't. But I think there's there's a little bit of a misunderstanding here, which is that interview shows are easier or less time intensive. My response to this would be ask yourself, where do you want to put the hardest work? Do you want to put it in the prep and in the moment, in other words, in production, or do you want to put it in post? Because it's a lot easier actually, to do the interview when you are doing a narrative show. You're protected a little bit more. Uh, When you're doing an interview show, you're giving up more of your show's quality to the interview subject in that moment because you can't really do much in post. You can cut it out maybe, but you're not going to like narrate part of their backstory if they meander too much because you're like, well, we had to get out the fact that this person worked for Google but they spent a ton of time on it and never really articulated it in a pithy way. So we can't just like snip out five minutes of it. But if you do a narrative show, you can voice over that part. You can have them start it and you then say, wow, this part was really poorly explained. So you explain it, right? And then you cut to their reflection on the job afterwards. The question I'd put to you is where do you want the hardest of the hard work to go before, during, or after in the production, pre-production, actual recording, aka production, or post-production? I think the assumption is interview shows are a lot easier. They're a lighter lift. Yeah, uh, to do an interview show, like an interview show is lighter lift. But doing an interview show worth listening to is really freaking hard. It's just as hard, if not harder, than doing all that post-production narration, music, and sound design. I'll give you an example. Um, I was having an interview with an executive who was clearly not feeling it. 
And when I asked them for the story of, you know, I knew it was going to be the centerpiece of the whole episode. Um, they were really kind of low energy and too many details. So it's a bored sounding, boring story. If I'm doing a narrative show, I can splice together moments of me telling you part of his backstory or giving you some of the, the what details, what happened, you know, and then this happened. And I can take five minutes of boring and turn it to 20 seconds of voiceover and make the episode snappier and better because I'm doing a narrative style show. Um, now you can take that too far and use it as a crutch, but still that's a, that's an added benefit that I, I am protected against the guest being not having their best day when I'm doing an interview and it's an interview based show. My options are basically to cut it out or keep it, you know, and many interview shows don't even cut anything out, which is terrible. So now I'm giving up my show more fully to the guest and I'm saying, hopefully they deliver because if not, they're, they're basically the show right now. I have no recourse in post. So you better be damn sure you go out of your way to do even more research and even more warm moments and environment setting and tone setting up front to create an environment where they deliver. Because if they don't, that's actually your fault. So it, you know, all of this stuff is hard. It's just, I think what's being implied with this question is doing an interview show is easier, but a great one, very, very hard, very time consuming. I think if you're trying to decide, do I want to do an interview show or a narrative show, you have to figure out how you want your listeners to feel, what you want them to get out of it. Do you want them to listen in the car on their way to work and think, oh, this is like important information? Or do you want them to have an experience? You know, do you want them to uh, listen in the bath and be transported to another place? Do you want to tug on their heartstrings? I think that narrative is usually more powerful for the the second set of desires to to take somebody somewhere to reach them emotionally. Having run Unthinkable now for four years and 140 something episodes, wow. I still get people talking to me about that show. Like it went through some periods of time where I did not publish very often. And I would still get interviewed about that show on other shows. I still got speaking engagements because of that show. I, I still have an audience that subscribed, like maybe hoping I'd bring it back. And this year I am. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I was able to reach out through a screen and tap someone on the heart a little bit more forcefully. So I got more loyal fans. I got more fans to share things. And that's a narrative show. And I think it was easier for me to do it that way because of the way I like to tell stories than for me to just do an interview show over on that feed. So perhaps that's a quote unquote measurable benefit. I don't know. Well put, well put. Do you want to do one more question? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this is a bonus question from also from Stuart Hillhouse on Twitter. And Stuart asks, what are some things to consider before beginning to edit? I've mentioned this several times. I don't want to beat this to death, but having a consistent rundown, having a structure that repeats. Sometimes it's story structure. The audience doesn't know it's there. I call that an invisible rundown. There are very many invisible rundowns you can steal from. I mentioned doing an extraction that assists on the edit. Um, and part of what assists is you have a plan for when you go to the edit, but part of what assists is you know what to capture, what content you need. So it makes the edit then much more efficient because you don't have as much fat to uh, cut off. Invisible rundowns exist like Dan Harmon's story circle or Joseph Campbell's hero's journey 
most of the time, unless you know those frameworks, you're just watching a movie or you're watching Community or uh, Rick and Morty, which is those are two of Dan Harmon's shows. You don't know the framework is there, but they do. And that's what makes their product so good because they had a plan all along. You just got one end-to-end experience. So that's an invisible rundown. A visible rundown is one you can see your sense is there. People tell you next section. So that's three clips. So we have a rundown on three clips too. So all of that makes the edit so much better. If, if you're approaching every edit, however, with just a lump of tape, a lump of clay you have to mold, that's the problem right there is you don't know how to tuck into it. It's too messy. It's too bespoke every single episode. You need some semblance of a plan. And the way I approach that is to try and assign one overarching theme, which maybe helps me get into a messier edit of like, you know, the theme could be how I'm speaking to the subject matter, or it could be the tone I'm going for. Like, I'd like this to be a slower burn, methodic, maybe even melancholy episode. Um, So it could be like the angle you're taking through the subject matter can help with the edit or the tone you'd like to establish can help you start. But I think that the real solution is you need to actually figure out the structure to a typical episode and then play with that structure each time. I tend to script a whole thing and then like I know I'm going to cut stuff out later, but it just helps me to see it all laid out. You know, and it, it just helps doing a read through. Like I will read the script and play the tape And then some of that I hear, I'm like, oh, that's redundant or like, that's totally unnecessary. It just helps so much to hear myself read it aloud. Yeah, I love that. And it's 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 about putting in the reps. Like if every time you show up, it feels like it's a huge lift. I don't think you've built enough momentum. So like, how do you start edits? You've started lots of edits before. Like, how do you make today's edit easier? You've done lots of edits before. What can help, again, is having a structure, having a plan. So you're never facing essentially the editor version of what writers face with the the blinking cursor, right? You have a plan of attack. I'm picturing you as a a podcasting personal trainer in this editing gym (laughs) that you set up earlier. Like, make the cut. You got this. You've done this before. (laughs) Come on. One more music bed. One more bed. And then we can cut it. One more. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah that's a joke that only flies on on three clips which is why i'm so grateful for making this if you have any questions that we did not answer we kind of stuck loosely to the narrative idea maybe we can get more about that but any questions at all you can tweet me i'm at jay Akunzo, or send me an email j j a y at unthinkablemedia.com and uh you know andrea is on twitter as well and please hit us up we love doing these mailbags it helps to collect questions ahead of time and we'd love to know what else you'd like us to explore. And, and also with guests too, you know, we're, we're constantly booking new shows. So if there are other shows out there that you'd like us to talk to, um, please feel free to let us know through those same channels. Andrea, thank you. This is awesome. Thanks, Jay. I'm at Andrea underscore Maraskin if you want to hit me up on Twitter. This was a lot of fun. <laughs>